done this before, but I wanted to take 10 minutes and send you out of this semester, send you into the holidays before we sing our last song uh, with just a little uh, thought about what Christmas is. I've never done a Christmassy themed thing. Um, so why not? Let me read uh, this passage for you, familiar passage. I'm going to have to move and read it with you because uh, I don't have it with me. Uh, and then we'll talk about it for 10 minutes. Then we'll sing, and I want to love and hug and kiss on these seniors in my life before we leave. <laughs> I did say kiss on you. Matthew chapter 1 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Here's what I think is interesting about that passage. That this passage gives two names for Jesus Christ the Messiah. First, if you see in verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Two names. Emmanuel, Jesus. What I want to do is try to explain that those two names for Jesus Christ are unbelievably pregnant, like my wife, with meaning. <laughs> and for ten minutes, I want to birth out the meaning if you will. I'm going to just end that metaphor now. We're going to unpack the meaning of those two names for the rest of our time. Emmanuel, Jesus. Okay? Simple, quick. Emmanuel. What does that mean? It's a Hebrew title that means, as it says in the passage, God with us. The message of Christmas is basically, and really the heart of Christianity as a whole, is God coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. God coming to us. That really is the heart of the, of the Christian faith. That's the heart of Christmas. Why though? Why did God come? Well, the history of the universe is this. That when God created his good creation, he created it to be beautiful, good, right, just, amazing. It got hijacked by rebels. And now, as C.S. Lewis says, we live in enemy-occupied territory. And here's what C.S. Lewis says in his chapter called The Invasion, which is an amazing title. He says this, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. 
All of the great stories, all the great fairy tales have this as for their basic storyline, where there is a rightful king that has been banished, that is coming back to reclaim his rightful territory. So if you think about the chronic What Calls of Narnia, what is the story there? The story is how the, the Narnia has been taken over. Only three of y'all caught that. Oh, that. That Narnia has been taken over by the White Witch. And so now Narnia is always winter and never Christmas. And so what happens? Aslan, the great rightful king, comes back out of banishment to reclaim his kingdom, to reclaim it for himself. Think about uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, the, the world has been taken over by evil. Uh, there's orcs and trolls and things kind of all over the place. And the rightful king comes back to reclaim his kingdom. I mean, think, about, uh, think about the Matrix, even though it's not about a kingdom. Uh, it's about a world that is enslaved to evil and how the one, Neo, has to enter into this world in order to save it. Think about The Dark Knight Rises, which I watched for the first time last night. The city, the good Gotham City, is overtaken by crime and by criminals, and the one, the hero, enters back in, comes out of hiding, comes out of banishment to, to reclaim the city for good. All of these stories have this as their basic theme, that the world is overtaken by evil, and that the king, the rightful king, the hero, has to come back and enter in in order to save it. And that's what the message of Christmas is. That is why Emmanuel is this title given to Jesus that here is God, here is the rightful king finally invading back, finally coming back, coming out of hiding, as it were, back into the world to reclaim it. And if that's true, that's what the heart of Christmas is, that tells you two things. That tells you on the one hand that God pursues us. The idea of Emmanuel, just that idea, if you think about it, it means that God pursues us. Because the reality is, is that God was not content to just sit on his hands in heaven and look at the world that is filled with corruption and decay and deceit and destruction and death and despair and sit there and be okay with it. But what it means is that he actually enters in and he pursues like a heat-seeking missile into this world and into even your own life. I mean, his pursuit doesn't stop 2,000 years ago. You may know this from your life. If, if you consider yourself a Christian, you probably, it, it fe- when you first become a Christian, it feels like you're the one that's pursuing God. You know, you're looking at this evidence, you're, you're hearing the Bible taught, you're kind of weighing the options, you're weighing the, you know, the, 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 the reasoning of it, and, and then you decide to put your faith in him. It's you moving towards him. But as you get older, and you become a little bit more familiar with yourself and your sin and the story of the universe, as you begin to make sense of your Christian experience, you realize it was not you pursuing him as much as it was him pursuing you. I want to read you a quote from one of my favorite authors named Anne Lamott. She's a Christian author, although she may not seem like it because she's unbelievably uh, rough around the edges. And so I've edited this quote that I'm about to read to you, but it may still be offensive. So Take it up with her, not me. But here, she's, she's writing a little bit about her own conversion story. And here's what she says. She says this, I did not mean to be a Christian. I've been very clear about that. My first words upon entering the presence of Jesus for the first time 12 years ago were, I swear to God I would rather die. I really would rather have died at that point than to have my wonderful, brilliant, left-winged, non-believer friends know that I had begun to love Jesus. 
I think they would have been less appalled if I had developed a close personal friendship with Strom Thurmond. At least there is some reason to believe that Strom Thurmond is a real person, you know, more or less. But I never felt like I, had, I really had much of a choice with Jesus. He was relentless. I didn't experience him so much as the hound of heaven, as the old description has it, but as the alley cat of heaven who seemed to believe that if it just keeps showing up, mewing outside your door, you'd eventually open up and give him a bowl of milk. Of course, as soon as you do, you're effed, and the next thing you know, he's sleeping on your bed every night and stepping your chest down at dawn to play a little (laughs) push-push. No idea what that means. She goes on. She says, I resisted as long as I could like Sam I am in Green Eggs and Ham. I would not, could not in a boat. I would not, could not with a goat. I do not want to follow Jesus. I just want expensive cheeses. (laughs) Or something. Anyway, he he wore me out. He won. I was tired and vulnerable and he won. I let him in. This is what I said at the moment of my conversion. F it. Come in, I quit. I know that's offensive and raw. But what she's saying is, is Jesus had pursued me. Jesus hunted me down. He was relentless and he wore me down and I eventually gave in. And that's what, that's what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. It means that he's pursuing us. He's hunting us. He's aggressively, like a heat-seeking missile, going after his people. It's the first thing Emmanuel tells us. The second thing about this idea of Emmanuel, it tells us not only that God pursues us, but that God is gracious. As Daniel Clark uh, mentioned earlier, every other religion in the world is going to look at you and say, here are the religious truths that you have to believe. Here are the moral things that you have to do. Here's the spiritual life that you have to live, and your moral efforts will be good enough. Now, all the different religions will debate and bicker over what those things are, but the basic premise is the same. Do this stuff, and your moral effort will be good enough. It's like a ladder getting you to God. Christianity is the only religion that says that will never work. Frankly, you're just not that good. And and furthermore, God is too holy. He's too exalted. He's too far away. Your moral efforts can never get there. But the message of Christmas, the heart of Christianity is that even though you could not get to God, he came down and climbed down to you. Though the ladder doesn't go up, you know, from down to up, it goes from up to down. It's him coming down, him going into this earth to pursue you, to be gracious to you. And that's what it tells you. The the message of Christmas, if you think about it, should be unbelievably offensive. Because it says to you, you can never get to God on your own. And the only way for this relationship to work is for him to come to you. Out of pure condescending grace. But at the same time, it should shock you with with wonder and and with amazement to think that God would come after us. That God would come after people like us that are broken and shameful. We've done all these things that we regret doing. have all these things that we wish we'd done that we haven't done. That we're the type of people that he would come after. The message of Christmas, the idea of Emmanuel, is this idea of tremendously offensively beautiful grace. That's the first name that Jesus is called, Emmanuel. The second name that he's given is Jesus. <laughs> okay, look at verse, uh, what is it, towards the end, 25? She called his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name uh, Joshua. 
And Joshua is the Hebrew name that literally means Yahweh saves. It means God saves. This is why when they're naming Jesus, they they say in verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel is the title that describes who he is. Jesus is the, the title that describes what he came to do. And he came to save his people from their sins. Okay, how does he do that? Well, as the rest of the story of Matthew and of Mark and all the gospel stories unfold, you realize that the way that he saves his people from his sins, he comes into this world, he invades it as the rightful king, clean, righteous, pure, but he comes in and becomes treated as sin itself. All the disgusting, horrendous, corrosive aspects of sin get thrown on him at the cross, and he undergoes the penalty of it so that when you connect to him by faith... You are treated as not sinful, but as actually righteous. Look, here's a story that I heard recently that puts some texture on this for me. And I'll end with this. Uh, I heard this story from a, from, a, from a friend of mine who watched it on like, I think it was like an, one of those National Geographic shows. Uh, I think National Ge- Geographic puts it on. Um, uh, Planet Earth, is the name of the show. Anyway, the, the show is one of these nature things that's, that's doing a story about the jungle. And it's zeroing in on this, this particular aspect of the jungle. There's this type of fungus in the jungle that literally just kills everything it touches. And so what happens is uh, if, if some of this fungal spore falls on an ant, what begins to happen is that the spore bores its way into the ant's body and somehow gets into the ant's system and sends a message to its brain. And when the fungal stuff gets into the ant's brain, it basically kind of has the the ant under mind control of what the fungus wants it to do. Now it's like the ant becomes this brainwashed zombie doing whatever the, the fungus wants it to do. And what the fungus tells it to do is to climb up to the top of a tree. And it goes up to the highest branch on a tree. And then the ant, what it does is it latches on as tight as it can to the branch. And what the fungus begins to do is digest the ant from the inside out. And, you know, the ant's hemorrhaging and bubbling. And then what begins to happen to the ant is that this mushroom-like thing begins to sprout from its head. I'm not making this up. You can look this up. This mushroom thing sprouts from its head. And once it's sprouted, the wind hits the mushroom, and launches like a thousand fungal spores all over the place, and anything it touches, that gets infected and destroys and does the same way. Insane, isn't it? But here's actually, here's where the story gets really cray-cray, because what happens is, if there's a colony of ants, and somehow, if the ants pick up on the fact that one in their community is infected, what they will do is that they will send an ant to basically physically remove and escort the infected ant as far away from the colony as possible. He'll basically take the infected ant and run as far as they can. But what happens is that this healthy, non-infected ant becomes infected and dies in the process. But what he does is he dies in order to save the colony. He dies in order to enable the colony to live. The message of Christmas, the name of Jesus, is that he is basically that ant who who enters into the world, who is sent into this world 
to take on our sin, to prevent its destructive power from hitting you, but the way that he does it is he, he allows the destructive power of sin to hit him. He becomes infected by the very thing he's trying to save us from. And on the cross, he is crushed from it. He dies in order that you may live. He dies the uninfected for the infected. Look, my hope and my prayer is that as you leave and as you go into exams and as you go into Christmas break, holidays for you, whatever it is, as you think about what Christmas really means, I do pray for you and for me that it it would inspire us to newfound levels of joy and of to worship. That's my prayer. Let me pray. Father, would that be true? Would that be true for me, for these folks here, that as we go into the Christmas season, it would not just be this familiar, cliche, consumeristic, Americanized thing that we do, where we just, it, just indulge in materialism. But I pray that it would be something that really shocks us with wonder and with, uh, with joy and with worship to know that you have come to us you have pursued us. You have made the way to us and have, and have become infected so that we who are infected could become uninfected. Father, I do pray that that would, uh, that that would melt our hearts, that would move us to worship, that would, that would transform us this Christmas season. Father, would this, uh, would this next month or so be, be really a deep reflection and meditation on who you are and what you've done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.